Well, it's so good to be back with all of you after being gone for two weeks. Uh, I was gone for part vacation, uh, part uh, homeschool trip with 60 other homeschool people, families, kids included for five days, and then part mission trip with our Pittsburgh team. And, uh, but I missed all of you very much and just glad to be back with all of you here on the Lord's Day. Uh, I appreciate Jesse very much for filling in for me for the two Sundays while I was gone. Did he, did he do okay? Did he do a good job? Yeah? All right. Good. Uh, I'm so glad. I'm very confident in his abilities to preach in my absence. And you may have noticed that I have had Jesse preach for me five Sundays this year. Uh, three of the Sundays whenever I was gone on sabbatical in the summer. And, uh, of course, the past two Sundays. Uh, that's been, been by design. And uh, we have uh, been praying about something. And um, the, reason, the reason that we, I've been having him preach, and you're going to hear him preach more in the coming months, is uh, that Jesse is going to actually be coming on our staff in January. And uh, wow, there you go. There you go. And uh, he's going to be serving in a part-time capacity in a position that we've never had before. Uh, he's going to be a church planting resident. And you may say, well, what, is, what does that mean? What is, what is Jesse going to do? Uh, Jesse is uh, basically going to help us to plant a church in the Cookville area, and he's going to be the pastor of that church. And uh, I'm likely, well, not likely, I'm going to be asking you all, some of you, many of you, hopefully a lot of you, to be praying uh, about helping us uh, to, chart, to, to start this church. Uh, the Lord really put this on my heart uh, last year. And uh, I started thinking about it and praying about it. And I went to Jesse and asked him, said, hey, would you be interested? And he basically told me no. Uh, and then he prayed about it. And then God asked him, and he had to say yes. And uh, so we, he and I have been meeting and talking together and praying together over the past year. And so uh, more info coming soon about that. Uh, but just pray for us as we seek to do this over the next year or so. Uh, okay, so uh, very excited about all the baptisms that we've been having over the past several weeks, really since the summer. I, I haven't counted, but basically since summer, uh, start, re we're really starting with summer youth camp. Man, our students just lit a fire. Uh, we appreciate that, students. Uh, we saw a lot of students get baptized, and, and then we've just seen a lot more people that have started following the Lord in believer's baptism, and really, really excited about that. And listen, if you're interested in baptism, uh, we want to make it easy for you. Uh, we put something in the bulletin today, something that we haven't had in the past, but there's a little QR code underneath my sermon notes, and that is a specific link if you are interested in baptism, if you want to sign up to be baptized. And uh, if you're interested in that, uh, as a result of this sermon that I'm going to preach about baptism or any baptism that you've seen, and maybe the Lord's been working in your heart, you want to talk about that with us, uh, please click that QR code and, uh, and we will be in touch. Y you know, baptism is an important doctrine for us. I mean, after all, we are Stephen Street Baptist. Uh, so obviously, you know, Baptist, baptism, uh, we, have, we have a lot to say about that. And the Baptist position, not just Southern Baptist, Baptist mission, position, but the Baptist position about baptism, um, it sets forth the critical importance of the act of baptism without assigning to baptism the power to save. 
And we believe that is an important, uh, in, th those are just some important guardrails that we have about what we believe about baptism. And though there's a lot of verses that we could look at today, uh, I want to ask you to open your Bible to Romans chapter, Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at the first four verses, and we're going to see where baptism is mentioned, and we're going to see there is a direct link between the spiritual reality of being saved and the symbol or the sign of baptism that is to immediately follow it. And I'm going to talk today, when I say baptism, you might get confused as to what I'm talking about because sometimes I might be talking about spirit baptism when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you get saved. And, uh, and, and I might say baptism to refer to water baptism, that ceremonial act that's a sign that you have, in fact, been spirit baptized. Well, in this verse, in these four verses, we see the two kind of converge together. So stand with me as we read these verses uh, and see what the Lord has to say to us uh, about baptism. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans. And he says, what shall we say then? In other words, he's kind of continuing an argument about the fact that we need to be cleansed, that we, have, we need to walk in the cleansing power of Christ. He says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. We're supposed to be cleansed, right? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, and I love this last phrase, we too might walk in newness of life. Let's pray together. God, I pray that today that you would use your word to accomplish your purposes. Lord, I know there's got to be some people here today. They've been spirit baptized. They've been saved. They've received the Holy Spirit. But they have not walked in the obedience of water baptism. Lord, if that characterizes someone here today, I pray that your spirit would speak to them. Lord, if there's someone here today, even if they've been water baptized, if they haven't been spirit baptized, They've never been born again, never been saved. God, would you do a special work in their heart and draw them close to yourself? And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So obviously, we believe as Baptists, and not just as Baptists, but as Christians, I mean all Christians, we believe that baptism is sacred. We do not believe that baptism saves but we do believe that it is sacred in that it symbolizes something incredibly important. And so these verses that we've read in Romans, they really set forth what water baptism symbolizes and how incredibly important it is. And basically what Paul is saying is he's saying, you've been cleansed, you got saved, you've been cleansed spiritually. But he uses that word baptize to help us to see that water baptism uh, characterizes the two. And again, uh, sometimes I'm going to say baptism to refer to baptized by the Holy Spirit. Not at all to, to mean what a lot of Pentecostals and Charismatics mean by that. We don't, we don't believe that you receive the Holy Spirit later after you're saved. Uh, we believe that you are baptized by the Spirit at the moment of salvation. 
And we believe that water baptism symbolizes that. So uh, there's a rich history of baptism among God's people. Uh, do you, have you ever thought about where baptism came from? Uh, some of you may not have researched it that far back, but basically before Christ, you had Jews that were baptizing Gentile converts who wanted to enter the Jews' religion. Uh, they would confess uh, and, and, and want to follow Jehovah and worship Him and be involved in the covenants and the promises of the Old Testament and participate in temple worship. And so the Jews would baptize them as a sign that they're bringing them into the Jewish community. The first time that we see baptism in the Bible was by a guy named John the Baptist. And he preached a baptism of repentance. And then Jesus himself was baptized, thereby really legitimizing uh, the practice. And all throughout history, it doesn't matter if you're Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Pentecostal, all Christian traditions have some form of baptism that they believe in and that they use within uh, their services and within their practices. But we don't just do it because everybody else does it, right? We don't just, we don't just uh, practice the act of baptism. Quite honestly, we don't even do it just because we see it in Scripture. There's a lot of things that we see and observe people doing in Scripture, but we don't necessarily copy them. Uh, the reason that we baptize people is because Jesus commanded it. Baptism is an ordinance of the church, meaning that Jesus ordained it for us to follow. And we believe, it's, so let, me, let me explain what, what an ordinance is. Some of you might be confused by that word. An ordinance is basically a command that is attached to a ceremony. Okay, something, something ceremonial or some type of ceremonial act. And we believe that there's really only two of these that we see in Scripture. Uh, we see the, the, the symbolism and the ceremonialism in the Lord's Supper, and we also see it in baptism. And we do it because Jesus told us to do it. Jesus said, hey, go out, make disciples, baptize them, then teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Sometimes we reverse that. Sometimes we'll make a disciple, we'll start teaching them, and then we'll say, oh, by the way, you need to be baptized. Well, Jesus said, make a disciple, baptize them, teach them, and I'll be with you while you do that. Now, us seeing baptism as an ordinance, something that Jesus commanded, a symbolic ceremony that Jesus ordained and gave for us to follow, seeing it as an, uh, as an ordinance is completely different than understanding baptism as a sacrament. Um, I talked about this several weeks ago. Um, basically, people who believe baptism is a sacrament, they assign sal uh, like saving power to, a, to the ceremony of baptism. And uh, to be quite honest, in, in the case of, of the Catholic faith, they have like seven major sacraments. And uh, there's nothing wrong with having processes and, and ceremonies. It's totally fine. I mean, a lot of what we do here in, in large measure is ceremonial. But, uh, but, but the Catholic faith believes that, that the grace of God is dispensed through those seven sacraments. We have two ordinances, and we don't believe God saves you through those ordinances, okay? So my friend Seth, uh, he was just baptized. We do not believe that about 20 minutes ago when he went under the water that he was at that point saved. 
We believe that what he did was a a ceremony that celebrated and pictured something that happened in his life previously, uh, as you heard his testimony. Uh, So this command that Jesus Jesus gave to the apostles, they obviously took it pretty serious because when they preached the gospel, they said, get saved and be baptized, believe and be baptized, listen and hear the gospel, hear the word of the Lord, and be baptized. We see it all throughout Scripture. In fact, everyone who got saved in the New Testament got baptized. Here's a list of Scriptures for you. You remember Peter, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, very first Christian sermon that was ever preached. He received the Holy Spirit, and he told, he preached to a whole bunch of people, and he said, hey, repent and be baptized. And that's exactly what happened. The Bible says they received his word and they were baptized. And we see this pattern continue throughout scripture with a guy uh, named Philip. Uh, Philip was preaching in Samaria and the Bible says they believed and they got baptized. And then he preached to the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember that one? The Ethiopian eunuch himself said, wait, stop the chariot, I believe what you're saying, and they pulled over, and he baptized him. The apostle Paul got baptized. Uh, Peter, whenever he preached in the home of Cornelius, uh, they believed the word. They got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and Peter commanded that they get baptized. He goes, nope, uh, they just got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now we need to baptize them in water. Lydia, same thing. She heard Paul preach. She responded, got baptized. The Philippian jailer got baptized the very night uh, that he believed. Synagogue ruler in Corinth got baptized. Believers in Ephesus, they heard the word and they were baptized. And, And I mean, listen, we could keep going. We could could keep going and see all of the instances in which they heard, they believed, they received the Word, they received the Holy Spirit, and then they got water baptized. It was a sign. It was a sign, a, a, a ceremonial symbol that they were now included in the people of God. They were initiated into the body of Christ through this ceremonial act of water baptism. And it was immediate. There was no waiting. And since that time, every single Christian tradition has practiced baptism. And a lot of them believe a lot of different ways. A lot of different beliefs about baptism. But here's what we believe about baptism. Stated simply, I'm going to give you a simplified definition. And it is the immersion of a believer, and we could probably even say new believer, but sometimes, sometimes people wait. Sometimes they wait years. They shouldn't, but sometimes that they do. And that's been the experience of some of you. But the, the immersion of a believer in water as a symbolic testimony to others that they have been born again. So here, here's, here's how God intended baptism. This is so important. Baptism is your first act, or should be your first act as a follower and as a disciple of Jesus. Your first obedient act. But also, it is your first act of mission in telling other people about Jesus. That's that's why Jesus told us to do it. 
because it's supposed to be a testimony to others. Other people are supposed to see it and celebrate it. It is you symbolically through a ceremony of baptism that Jesus ordained, shouting to everybody, I have been saved. Something has happened in me. And you know, baptism is pretty simple to act, right? You go under the water, you come back out of the water. I'm so glad for a Mississippi boy like me that God put the cookies on the bottom shelf and made it so easy. Not a lot of complicated stuff here. I mean, God can do that. Look in the Old Testament, man. So, <laughs> some of the ceremonies that God commanded for the Old Testament people of God, pretty complicated, a lot of steps. I'm so glad he made it simple for us. You go under the water, and you come out of the water. Now, I would add to that that we're supposed, I think we either need to say or express in some type of way that we're baptizing them not in the name of Allah or not in the name of a Hindu God or not in the name of whoever, but baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Some type of Trinitarian view of God. Whether we preach that and then baptize them or we just mechanically say the words, which is what I do all the time. In baptism is, and you've, heard, you've probably heard this phrase before, it's an outward expression of an inward change. Y'all have heard that before? How many have heard that before? An outward expression. Us Southern Baptists, we like, that, we like that phraseology. We think it's in the Bible, but it's not. An outward expression of an inward change. Now, while that phrase is not in the Bible, the truth of that is clearly uh, in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, and several other places. An outward expression of an inward change. Now, we understand the outward expression. Super simple. Go under the water, come up out of the water. Super simple outward expression. The question really remains, the most important thing that we could possibly ask is what is the inward change that the outward expression is meant to signify? And that's why I love Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Two things that baptism symbolizes. First, the going down under the water. This is a symbol of death. Baptism symbolizes death. Not physical death. Not, not the end of your, your physical life here on this earth. Baptism symbolizes a spiritual death. Now listen, a spiritual death that every single person who truly gets saved undergoes. If you get saved, you die to self. That's what Jesus said. He said you must die to self. You must take up your cross. The cross being this instrument of death. Take up your cross and follow him. Baptism is a symbol that there is something about you that is no longer true. Something about you that is ended. Something about you that you are killing and that you are putting aside. You say, well, what? What could that possibly be? And it is a symbol of the death and of literally everything you are, everything that you have, 
everything that you hope to be, everything that you love, you basically say, God, I'm going to reject my will, my way, my desires, my wants, my plans, my path, my sin. I'm going to cast off my sinful nature like old, tattered clothes. And I'm going to clothe myself with nothing, with something new. And, and this is not just a turning from sin. This is a turning from your way. Jesus called it, like I said, taking up your cross, losing your life. We have a great word to describe this. Repentance. Repentance means, and listen, every single person who has ever been saved has repented and died to self, or they hadn't been saved. Repentance basically means, I have a certain way of thinking. I have a certain way of feeling, a certain, a, 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 a certain thing that I desire, certain loves that I have in my life. I have a certain way of walking, a certain direction that all of my thoughts and feelings and desires and everything goes this way. But then I hear the gospel. I hear the message about Jesus. I get convicted over my sin. And I realize that I can't walk this path that I can't idolize and worship myself, that I've got to turn to Jesus. And, and, and repentance says, I'm going to change my mind about things. I'm going to change my heart about things. I'm going to change my desires. I'm going to change what I love. I'm going to change the way I will walk. I'm going to change the direction of my life. Y'all have heard me say that before. That is repentance. That is death. And it doesn't mean that God's going to change everything in your literal life, that you have to move to a different place and get a different job. But what it does mean is that you lay everything out. You know, there are people that think that you can get saved without that repentance. But in Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 5 and 6 and 7, basically say it is impossible to get saved without death. It is impossible to get saved without dying to yourself. Um, some people think, well, I'm saved no matter how I act. That's not what the Bible says. Some people think that the way that I get saved is that I have all these things that I want to do in my life. I have these places that I want to go and things that, and desires that I want. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to step aside. I'm going to say, okay, God, you tell me what I have to do. I'll pay you homage, whatever. And now you use your power to help me along my way in my life to be successful. Listen, that is not Christianity. That is classic paganism. That is classic pagan. Look it up. Look it up. All, all, all the gods of the nations in the Bible and all the gods you can imagine, this, that, that's what people do. They have something that they're trying to do and to accomplish in life, and they say, okay, God, I'll do whatever I have to do, and now you help me to be healthy and be wealthy and be successful. I'll do for you, and now you do for me. It's not Christianity. It's paganism. Christianity says, I reject all of that. Just like Jesus gave his life, I'm going to give my life, and I'm going to turn, and I'm going to follow him. That is true Christianity. Christianity is a symbol of death. The Bible says that we have been united with him. We've been baptized into his death, that we have been buried with him. We have entered into a union with him. And we have been spiritually cleansed, 
And when we get baptized, it's a symbol of that. If that hasn't happened in your life, going under this water right here is not going to do you any good. It's not going to do you any good at washing away your sins unless the Holy Spirit of God has already done that in your heart. That's what it means to be saved. So, what else does it symbolize? We know what the external act is, the going under the water, symbolizing death, and then the coming up out of the water. What is the coming up out of the water symbolizes? It symbolizes the new life that we have been given in Christ. We have to do more than just sweep away all of the things that shouldn't be in our life. You know, J Jesus told a parable about that, about a demon being cast out in a house, and he comes, goes through arid places, and he comes back, and he finds the house swept clean. In other words, the house is empty. And he goes and gets a bunch of his demon buddies and says, hey, let's come back over here and take over. That's not, that's not what we're looking for. To just empty ourselves of all the wrong. No, God wants to fill us with new life. And that's what happens whenever we get saved. Everyone that gets saved, they experience a death. But even more importantly, they experience a life. They come to life. Jesus called it being born again. Paul referred to it as being raised from the dead. And it doesn't happen when you're water baptized. It happens when you're spirit baptized. And your water baptism is a symbol of that. I, I feel like I'm a broken record, but we have to reiterate that. That it's not the baptism in water that does it. It's being immersed in Christ. And now, you have a new will. You have a new way, you have new desires, you have new wants, new plans, new path, a new love for God, a new drive for the things of God. Has that happened in your life? Have you died and have you been raised with Christ? I think that's the most important thing that you could ask yourself, most Im important uh, uh, self-inspection that you could do is say, has this really happened in my life? I don't care how many times you've gone under the water in church. It doesn't count unless it symbolizes something that has actually happened. Has it happened in your life? If it has, be baptized. Tell everybody. Tell the world what God has done for you and start right here with your church family, with the people of God. I, I, I point you again to the, the little QR code on, that, that's in the bulletin. Listen, if this has happened in your life, if God has saved you and you weren't baptized after that, then you have not been scripturally baptized. And, and, you, and, and that needs to be something that you do, needs to be something that you pursue. But really, even more than that, you may need to ask yourself the question, it doesn't matter if I've been water baptized, have I truly been born again? Is that a reality in your life? If that hasn't happened in your life, the last thing I'm going to tell you to do is get water baptized. You don't need water baptism, not, not as, as a first step. You need to be spirit baptized. You need to call upon Jesus and be saved. And uh, I want to talk about that more in a minute, but I want to give you some bullet points about baptism. I think these are so important. These bullet points, I think, kind of give us some guardrails 
uh, to, as far as really understanding baptism and how it should be done. Now, let me just tell you, this is, this, is a, this is a very Baptist view of baptism. But all of this can be backed up in Scripture. I just don't have time to give you all of the Scriptures this morning. Let me just, let me just fire these off real quick. Number one, uh, only believers are to be baptized. We call this believer's baptism. That's, that's what we believe. We believe in believer's baptism by immersion. That only someone who has truly been born again, someone that has already spiritually died and already spiritually been raised to life, only those people should, should be baptized and no one else. Believer's baptism. And so we can't always discern that, but what we try to do as pastors is we sit down and we talk to people and we see, do they have a credible profession of faith? We call this credo baptism. I don't have that for the screen, but have they given us a credible profession of faith in which they have legitimately, legitimately been saved? And the order is important. You get saved, then you get baptized. You don't get baptized and then somewhere down the road you get saved and then say, oh, I was also baptized. No, you weren't. You weren't baptized until you, you get baptized with water after you get saved, uh, uh, after, after the Spirit baptizes you. Okay, uh, believer's baptism in the New Testament was always by immersion. This is the proper mode of baptism. Everybody in Scripture that was baptized was baptized by a total going under the water. Not a sprinkling or a wiping off or a pouring or anything like that, but a total immersion in water. And I think I have to continue to say this, this important bullet point, baptism does not save. It does not save. Y'all listen, the water that comes into that baptistry, we don't get it from a special spiritual source. You understand that, right? It's the same water that flows into your toilet at home. It's the same water that you use to wash your dishes that you use as drinking water. It is the same water that flows into your house, and we get it from the same place. There is nothing spiritually cleansing about it. And there's certainly nothing special about the person that performs the baptism. I can't save you. The water can't save you. Jesus saves, period. He's the only one that does it. People who believe that there is this mechanical process that you go through that involves water, like physical water, and that God somehow regenerates through the water, uh, that's called baptismal regeneration. And we outright neglect that, uh, uh, reject that. Now listen, uh, Roman Catholics, they baptize infants. I'll talk about that in a moment. But there are some Protestants uh, that, that uh, also believe this. So a lot of us have some Church of Christ friends. I have Church of Christ friends. Some of you came from Church of Christ. Um, even what we call the more open-minded Church of Christ, they still believe in baptismal re regeneration. Uh, it's not a doctrine that we believe. Now listen, I love my Church of Christ friends. I really do. Uh, they're, in, they're in the family. I, I, I think they're in the family of God. Not all of them. Not all Baptists are in the family of God. I mean, there's some of you here today that you're Baptist, but you know, I might not be saved. Same thing with uh, Church of Christ or anyone else. They're in the family, okay? They just, but they believe different about this. Same with some Pentecostals, some Christian church. You know, um, some United Pentecostals believe that when you go under the water, that it washes away your sin. Something about going under the water and that ceremonial act, it washes away your sin. We do not believe that. Uh, we do not believe in baptismal regeneration. Also, and this is important, 
what does baptism symbolize? I, have, I went to great lengths just a moment ago to explain to you that baptism symbolizes something that God does, not something that we do. Okay, there, there is this, 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 uh, uh, this thing, you can look this up, called baptism, excuse me, uh, called decisional regeneration. Um, and it's all about the decision that the person makes. It's all about, it's all about a, a, a human uh, mechanical process. Now, baptismal, baptismal regeneration sees something about the water that saves. Decisional regeneration sees something about a human being that does certain things or says certain things or says certain prayers or goes through certain processes and cognitively, if they understand and, and they make a decision, that then they're saved. Baptism does not symbolize a human decision, okay? It does not symbolize the work of man. It symbolizes the work of God. Me going to someone who is spiritually dead and asking them to make a spiritual decision is like me going down here to the cemetery and asking a corpse to dance. They're not, they're not capable of doing that. We don't celebrate human decisions. We celebrate what God has done. And so I want to encourage you, whenever you talk about being saved, that you, that you don't use the word decision. I want to encourage you not to do that. And I know it's, in, it's and as Southern Baptists, man, we've, we've gotten this kind of wrong at times. I think if, if there's a, man, if there's any old hymn, Brother Andy, that I think that has been abused and abused and abused, you know what I'm going to say. I have decided to follow Jesus. We sang it all, right? As if it's just a, it's got to be more than that. God has to do something in someone's heart. It has to be real. It has to be spiritual. And so I want to encourage you not to talk about salvation as a decision. And so you'll catch yourself from time to time. And so you might say, okay, well, what do I say in its place? The Bible is filled with some great terminology by which we can explain salvation. And the word decision is never used, but there's some other good ones. Here's some for you. Confessed Jesus as Lord, repented of sin, been born again, believed in Christ, had faith or expressed faith in Christ, has called upon Jesus, is following Jesus, is professing Christ, is receiving Christ. Just pick your favorite out of those biblical terms and, and use that. And I think, uh, I, I think this, it brings about less confusion and does not accidentally embrace decisional regeneration because most of us do not believe in decisional regeneration. Okay. Infants, I spent too much time on that one. Let me burn through these others. Uh, infants should not be baptized. They should not be baptized. Uh, among Protestant churches, 
that practice infant baptism, uh, and there's several Protestant churches, uh, and not not everyone in these in these in these traditions do, but several among uh, among Protestant churches they practice the baptism of infants, um, and it's called pedo baptism, pedo baptism, however you want to uh, however you want to pronounce that. Um, they point to links between Old Testament circumcision and New Testament baptism, and Old Testament covenants and New Testament covenants. Uh, Personally, I think this is a dangerous practice because we believe in believers' baptism. But it does raise the question, what about small children? What do we do about small children and how do we approach that? And I would just say to you, um, we, just need, we, we have to use discernment. We have to use a lot of discernment uh, before we baptize a small child. It's, it's a little bit easier to discern if God has been at work in an adult uh, sometimes than it is with a child. Now, sometimes it's just abundantly clear, but sometimes it's difficult. And it's been my experience that a lot of times it's difficult. And so uh, we ha we ha what we're looking for as we discern, here's what we're looking for. We're not looking to see if they've walked through some human mechanical decision process, okay? They're willing to walk down the aisle or fill out a card or repeat a prayer that we give them or undergo a process for church membership and, you know, willing to be baptized. Listen, I, there's not too many children that I know that wouldn't like to go swimming in church. I mean, most children, they like water. My kids, it don't matter where they are, man, they just want to jump in that water, that creek, that mud hole, uh, doesn't matter. Um, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to discern, has God done a work of burial, death, resurrection? Has God done a work in that child? And it can be very, very difficult. We don't have to pressure, parents, this, I hope this gives you comfort, we don't have to pressure our kids to be baptized as if, oh, uh, little Johnny hadn't been baptized yet, and oh, I'm just so worried about it. Look, their, their baptism is not what's important. The water's not going to save them, remember? Uh, we want to make sure that they are confident in their salvation, and you want to make sure that you are confident in their salvation. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is really, really important. Um, so are you confident? Are they confident? Listen, I've gone through this even this year. Three of my children have been baptized this year, and every time leading up to one of my children being baptized, I'm always like belaboring it, asking them questions. I mean, we just, because we, I, I want them to be confident. I don't want it to be, well, daddy's a pastor, and I've immersed them in Christian community. Uh, everybody that they know are Christians, and I've got them in this little Christian bubble, and they just kind of follow and do whatever all everybody else is doing and what I tell them to do, right? I mean, most kids will do what you tell them to do. You pa that's, how what, that's how you pass your values down to your kid. I mean, all kids will do what their parents tell them to do until they become teenagers, uh, you know, and, and something kind of, I'm just picking on you teenagers, sort of. Um, but, you know, small children, I mean, you go to a small child and say, you're going to go to hell if you don't repent. You better pray this prayer. You know, you better do this, and this is what you should do, and this is all. I mean, obviously, we can ingrain it into our kids until they finally say, well, okay. Um, but we want to discern has God done a work in them? And that's your job, parents. That's not our job as pastors. That's your job 
to, to discern that in your children. And one of the ways you can do this is ask other family members, other friends that you have that know your children very well. I always ask my children's life group leaders, hey, have you seen a change in this person? What do you think? Do, do, do you, can you discern that God's been at work there? There's lots of things that you could do. Use discernment. However, new believers who are adults should be baptized without delay. This is uh, my first to last point. So a new believer should be baptized without delay. I'm talking about adults. When you sit down with an adult and an adult gives you a credible profession of faith and they say, yes, I've been saved, and you can clearly discern that God's done something in their heart, there's no waiting. There's no waiting. We don't believe in mature believer's baptism. We believe in believer's baptism. Uh, we don't have to teach them something in advance. That kind of reverses the order of the Great Commission. Make a disciple, baptize them, teach them. Make a disciple, baptize them, teach them. The teaching comes after the fact. So when they get saved, they should, they should, uh, we shouldn't allow a time gap. And baptism only happens once. I think this is important. Baptism only happens once after you're born again. Some of you might say, well, wait a minute, I was baptized, you know, in another tradition as a baby, and then I got baptized again, I went to a, a, a VBS, and then, you know, when I went to youth camp one time, then I got baptized, and then I, I grew up, I was an adult, then I got baptized again. My question to you is going to be, tell me when you got saved. And whenever you were baptized after that, that was your baptism. So I have been put under the water in church twice in my life. I've only been baptized once. And often you'll hear me say I was baptized as a child, but it didn't symbolize anything because I wasn't saved. It wasn't really baptism when I, where I was nine, but I got radically saved when I was 18 and made a commitment to ministry and started school and I was a ministerial student and I started thinking, wait a minute, I have not been scripturally baptized. And I went to my pastor and I was like, I have totally messed up. And uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here, but I haven't been baptized. And he told me the same thing that I have told a ton of people over the past couple of months. And that is, you just need to be baptized. You just walk in obedience. And so, sometimes for various reasons, we allow those gaps. We get nervous. We get scared. We don't want to, whatever. It, it, there's no chiding involved if you've made that mistake. You just... You, you, you just get baptized. Baptism is not a symbol of rededication. It's not a symbol of a new start. It's a symbol of being saved. Some people will drift away from God. They'll come back in church and say, hey, I want to be re-baptized. No such thing as re-baptism. There's just baptism. There's just you getting saved and being baptized. If you got saved and got baptized and then drifted away from the Lord and now we're coming back to church, you just need to pick up your discipleship where you left off. Water in the baptistry is not going to help you any at all to do that. Uh, and it doesn't really symbolize anything as well. So I remember whenever we went to Israel a few years ago, we all baptized each other in the Jordan. And I thought to myself, what a money racket. <laughs> all these Christians want to be baptized in the river Jordan just because Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan. And I, I, so I baptized my wife uh, whenever, we, uh, whenever we went to uh, the Jordan River. And the whole time I'm sitting like, we're just playing here. I mean, we're just, this, this is just goofing off, you know. It's, just, it's, not real it's not real baptism, okay, because she's already been baptized. And I don't know, did somebody baptize me? I can't even remember. Huh? 
Oh, that's right. They wanted to, and I said no because I thought the whole thing, I was like, I ain't doing this. And I was being an old fuddy-duddy. I was being an old stick in the mud. But hey, it is, it, is, it is what it is, you know. Baptism only happens once, and it symbolizes uh, that you've been saved. And the last thing I'll say, God, man, there's just so much that I could say about baptism. I should have I separated this into two sermons. I'm sorry, y'all. I know y'all are getting hungry. But the last thing I'll say, baptism should be as public as possible public as possible. Now listen, this wasn't the case with the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, I understand there was nobody around, but man, it should be as public as possible. Uh, that's why we delay our baptisms after the first or second psalm, because all you people come in late, and we want as many of you uh, to see the baptism as possible. Uh, baptism, like I said before, it's your first act of mission. It's not just your first step as a disciple. It's your, it should be your first act of mission. You are telling people that you're saved. And so we want as many people, we want it to be as public as possible because you are doing evangelism. Think about that. You are doing evangelism. You are sharing your faith testimony with someone else. And when that happens, people, people get saved. All right, so that was a lot. That was, that was a lot of information. Uh, that was... Part history lesson, part preaching, uh, part uh, teaching, and, and I probably should have split that up uh, into a, a, to a couple of messages. But listen, if you have questions about baptism, I just want to be available to you. And if you desire baptism, please, I refer you back to that QR code. But even more than that, I hope that you can see our heart uh, and it, it is that we don't, we don't want to just put you under the water. We want you to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. We want you to have died to Christ. And we want you to have been raised to walk in newness of life. If that has never happened in your life, I can promise you it is better than religion. It is better than some pattern of religion of trying to please God and make Him happy with you so that He'll give you the things that you want. It is so much better and the Lord just wants you to call upon his name. Maybe that's where you are today. You just need to call upon his name. So let's stand. Uh, let's stand today. And uh, you pray to the Lord as, as you see fit. Uh, if baptism is something that has been on your mind, listen, don't wait anymore. We have had so many people that have come to us over the previous weeks and say, hey, listen, I was saved a long time ago, but I was never baptized. And uh, we've seen uh, a great example of that, even from a member of our pastoral staff. And so if that's where you are, let's, let's, get, this, let's get this right for you. Uh, get that QR code and scan it and get in touch with us, and we'll get in touch with you. And we want, we want to help walk you through that and talk you through that. I, I wish you could have seen uh, Kim's baptism uh, this morning in the first service. Uh, she got saved a long time ago. And uh, now she's still a young lady. She's only about 10 years older than me. And so she's still a, she's still a young lady. Um, but she was so excited. She was so excited just, you know, about her baptism, just celebrating her salvation. And so, listen, if, that, if that's where you are, let's, let's, let's get this right for you. The Holy Spirit's never going to let it go until you get this right. Um, but if you haven't been born again, that's the first thing. Baptism will do you no good unless you've been born again. So bow your head. Close your eyes, talk to the Lord, come to the altar if you would like to, pray right where you're seated, and do business with God. What's the Lord telling you to do? How is He speaking to you?
how is he talking to you? 